the moment we all got stuck in our homes and got into these relationships over Zoom, it became a lot harder to actually spend the time in the vendor cube or go walk down the hallway to meet someone or shake hands. And so we saw this massive pivot into B2B marketing. And so we just saw this acceleration in the way that we've never done before and the need to actually build digital capabilities. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Sunnyside Podcast. I'm your host today, Randy Eilis, and I'm joined by Greg Callahan from Bain & Company. He is a partner and a founder of their new Coro uh, business efforts, which he's going to talk a lot about. And so first, Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thrilled to be here. Thanks for the time. Yeah, you got your voice back. You know, I was nervous. You you, you talk a lot, right? <laughs> you know, when you do this for a living, you need it to work. So I'm I'm thrilled it's back, and I'm thrilled this this time worked. Terrific, terrific. Well, what we thought we would do is talk a little bit about what has happened, and then what is happening, and then maybe what you think is going to happen or might be happening now in the moment. So let's so let's start there. Um, so COVID was a big impact. It, it impacted everyone and all of our lives, but it impacted B2B selling and B2B marketing. Talk a little bit about how some of those impacts and some of the, the sea changes or just the changes that you've seen the way companies are, have made uh, have been lasting, like they, they've been lasting impacts. You know, Randy, that that's a big one. And I think uh, what, what I'll probably start with, just just so that we have the chart of history, a lot of, a lot of the stuff we're all going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but just the start of it is if we go back to 2019 and we think about how did we actually operate and execute sales. We spent a ton of time as a group just saying, how many more reps can I put in the field and how do I just drive that motion forward? You know, the moment we all got stuck in our homes and got into these relationships over over Zoom, it became a lot harder to actually spend the time in the vendor cube or go walk down the hallway to uh, to meet someone or shake hands. And so we saw this massive pivot into B2B marketing. And so it, it was a little bit, what the, the, the big pivot in my own mind is the people who actually knew how to do marketing was B2C. B2C has been far ahead of B2B in marketing forever and ever and ever. And what we tried to do is take all these incredible personalize all those kinds of things and bring it into B2B. And we tried to do it at warp speed. And that's where you saw just massive acceleration and demand base and Sixth Sense and and uh, all our Marketo platforms. And everyone all of a sudden turned and started looking at marketing and saying, you know, I don't care about the big events anymore. Like, what are you doing to get emails into my inbox and leads into my inbox to get going? And so we just saw this acceleration in the way that we've never done before and the need to actually build digital capabilities. Uh, and so I'd say the big piece of that in, in COVID was that pivot. With that in mind, it all, all of a sudden brought us all indoors and we said, okay, well, is, what is the line between a field and an inside? And we, I've, you've had plenty of podcasts on that one. And she, but like the, the ceiling of the before we said, well, you can only service SMB with an inside salesperson. And we said, actually, well, maybe we shouldn't even be calling it inside. It's, it's virtual sales. And virtual sales, you can get on the plane or you can get in the car and you can do the right thing. But that the 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 ceiling for virtual selling was significantly higher. And so as we got into COVID and as we started living through the many cycles that was, a lot of our clients kept coming to us and saying, can you help me figure out what the right ceiling is? 
where do I want to have, where do I want to have field-based folks and where do I want to have virtual? And there's a big, there's a big opportunity because for the first time ever, we weren't bounded by where that specialist lived to get them in front of the customer. And so before we had to find someone, get them on a plane, arrange a date in six months, and then we get them there. And now more than ever before, we can have a person that's a uh, industry specialist or a product specialist or a region geo specialist in the room, in the virtual room with someone at that moment. And what we found time and time and time again, particularly with those specialist models, is win rates went up 2x. And so as much as COVID changed change things, it actually enabled us to do more with marketing and actually get a higher quality, higher caliber conversation in front of our customers faster. The hardest part was though getting that conversation. And so we did much more with selling into the base and not as much into the net new. And so that set off a whole structural set of questions of how do we make sure that we uh, get the net new going. And and then more recent times as we've headed into this down cycle, as, as net new slows down, how do we actually get that reinvigorated again? Yeah. And it strikes me as you talk about how you had to change the way your sales force was labeled or constructed or even conceived of, um, salespeople are also faced with that same equation on the other side. They're dealing with customers now who have done the exact same thing as they, they work now to maybe try to get back in front of them and they've got people all over the place and the people aren't together anymore. And so it's allowed you to maximize talent, but that talent is dispersed. And then with, with some of the economic changes, travel has become even <laughs> for a different reason, something that companies aren't as excited to do or pay for right now so it's interesting you, you've you yeah it, it's i think uh we've gone a little bit guardrail to guardrail and we're trying all to figure out where the middle of the road is and i think as organizations the, the challenge for us is where do i allocate capital to the highest roi and is it is it more big events is it more feet on the street is it more marketing dollars how, how do i get the highest ROI on that next incremental dollar. And at the same time, I think the other thing you hit on is just how do I maintain a really positive and selling oriented culture? And that's, that's something that uh, a lot of organizations have, have, have thought about too, is how, how do I make sure that people stay motivated and are excited? And, you know, from 2021 to 2023, like keeping talent was the hardest problem people there was so much so much need and desire for talent in the market that you just couldn't keep people long enough so how did you build that right culture and the same thing applies now is how do, how do you maintain your top performers uh and and keep them in seat and, and keep them motivated so if that's some of the shifts that we're dealing with and i really like guardrail i'm gonna steal that that's a really interesting uh, picture um How's the shift towards digital marketing and lead generation impacted just overall strategy? Like, because we're probably not going back, right? Now we want to be digital. There's a lot of expectation that companies will interact with with companies digital. We do that here at Demand Base. So, what what is there? Have there been new challenges that that's presented? There are there are a series of things that people need to solve. I think first at, at its core. Our research says that you're re- anywhere you pick up a research paper, some, somewhere in the range of 80% of customers are doing research before they ever engage a salesperson. That that That's a given. I think what is interesting, scarier, more exciting, depending on where you sit on the spectrum, 
60, 50 to 60% of the time, they've actually narrowed it to the two to three companies that they want to buy from before they ever reach out. And so if you are in that consideration of that two to three, wow, much easier competition stack, way more educated customer. If you're not, a lot of people, the flip side of it is I'm just going to miss out on a lot more opportunities because people are, are doing that research ahead of time. And if I don't have the customer journey and the digital presence and the brand awareness and all the things that are required, I'm just not going to get nearly as many leads as I once did. And so point number one that a lot of our clients are grappling with is how do I build that customer journey from end to end? It's digital, it's non-digital. How, how do I figure out all those touch points? And we spend a lot of time on the moments that matter. And so where are the highest impact areas? Where can I get that, that concentration of customers? And how do I build, bring them along on that journey, which is not forced and it doesn't feel like it's branded all over the place, but they are learning through it and deciding I, you are one of the top two, which is three customers I want to engage with because that, that part of the funnel is, uh, opaque, not clear if it never shows up in the seller's mindset. And so how do we make sure that marketing is doing their job to deliver that customer journey so that you're getting the leads you need to actually be able to hit your numbers. And so that's number one is just, you got to get that digital customer journey right. I think along those lines, the other big piece is who the heck is your customer? I, I live in a world where, you know, if you're an investor, you think about customers as cohorts and big groupings. And, you know, I, I want to go after the financial services industry. Well, that's wonderful. But telling that to a, a frontline seller, your job is to go after the financial services industry is not that productive. And then within that, is it is it credit unions? Is it insurance companies? Is it wealth management? Like we're, we're in that. And so the other big thing that we have been working with our clients on and more broadly is forget the top down point of view of your customer. What's your bottom up? And so if you actually ingest, if you were to take the demand-based data, or if you were to take your Zoom info, or if you were to take the DMB database, of all the companies in the United States, and you say, okay, now I need to know, is it 500 to 5,000? Is it 5,000 to 10,000? Wh where is the customer set? What are the industries that matter? So what are the sick codes that matter? What's the, if I'm selling SaaS and tech software, what's the tech estate? Are there, are there places where I'm better together? So when, when I'm, when you're buying demand base, is it better together with a Marketo platform alongside? And does that make it more interesting? How do you, how do you actually build the ideal customer profile? And then on top of that, have that list so that you can actually go through it and say, okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to tick away. And so I know every single customer by name. And then that makes, as you can imagine, then that makes your customer journey and the digital journeys and the marketing that you're spending way more action oriented. So I can rate everything A, A B, C, D. All of my A's are going to spend tons of money on. My B's are great money. C's and D's are, you know, as they come in, as they come find us in general, we find that A accounts transact at four to six times better than your season D's. So you're talking about segmentation and it in the I love the first part that you talked about because the lead and the consideration phase are collapsing a little bit. So by the time a lead gets to you, they're already in consideration. And if you missed it, it the good news is it'll go really fast because they're considering you. They've done a lot of research. The bad news is you may never know you missed it because they may never ever speak to you. They just did a lot of research and decided you weren't the one and they made that decision all by themselves. So it really is marketing's job to help make sure they consider your firm. And that's 
that's I guess one of the big shifts in, in, in the way that the new tools or the new data, the decisions that need to be made. That's that's the way I guess marketing has to be thinking about it. Exactly, and that it, it is forcing people to get creative. So, a testimonial on your website is great, but that is canned, and people know what it is. A testimonial on a third-party site that says this is the greatest product in the world, and you can link to it, and you can show that third-party, whether it be your Forrester reports or your G two reports or whatever, being able to create that independent third party that says nine times out of ten I would choose this product is a big deal. And so just making sure that you're actually creating that experience. I think the second piece that's really important is on product, which is how does someone try a bite-sized try of what you're offering before they ever buy? And like, you know, I, I equated to my kids trying ice cream. We go up to the ice cream store and they have those little spoons and, you know, they get two or three bites of different things and I'm going to go with you know, unicorn crunch or whatever, whatever that has the most sugar, uh, in, in the ice cream shop. But, but the same thing, this is, this is a challenge on, on all of our legacy on-prem to cloud shifts, a whole bunch of other stuff. Like the POC can't be seven weeks anymore and it can't be tied up in legal. I can't, we've got to find a way to give a person experience, whether it be a canned experience or a live experience or a demo experience, but we got to find a way to make it easier for those customers to truly experience what is the special sauce of your business early and often. Because if you don't do that, your competitors are doing it. And if we, we just, uh, we lose out. And so there's just all these things, even if you were to go, uh, you know, the first thing we do for our, you know, buying a new pair of socks, you go to Amazon, you look at the quick reviews and do whatever, maybe I'm the only person buys socks on Amazon, but the, uh, uh, you know, the, as we go through that, that taking your B2C consumer lens to how you want your customers to experience your B2B business is really important. And then getting really creative about the limitations within your product. You know, if you can't POC it, find another way. Right. Because if you're not, as we said, if you're not being considered, you're not even, you're not in the game and at the consideration so then how does that impact on the sales side? What are companies like um, playbook selling or, 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 or prescription selling? How does that change if the customer's coming in further down the process or maybe just at a different part of the, the process is a little different and now they're at a different, how are companies grappling with how to train salespeople or prepare them or execute that this new piece, right? Because the whole idea of ABM is marketing and sales working in conjunction, some sort of handshake versus in silos. Uh, how, how have you seen that? So I think that there is, uh, you know, maybe maybe 24 months ago, we all were talking about RevOps as a sexy term. I'd say the term that I keep hearing everyone throwing around is sales plays. Um, and I, I would make one amendment and say it's sales and marketing plays. Because uh, they need to be together, to your point. And I might add one word to the end, which is, and it needs to be a stinking system. It can't be just a play for play's sake, but how do you build the system? And so this one in particular is where a lot of folks are paying attention saying, okay, well, what define a play? Is it is it a marketing campaign where I just send a bunch of emails out, see what happens? And our our, our experience has been, we've all been doing marketing plays for years and years and years and years. No, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a market. That's not a sales play that's, a sales and marketing play, as we think about it from a system perspective, is, okay, I'm going to start with my bottoms-up customer database. 
I know the way financial services customers buy and behave with my product and what matters to them and what resonates is different than the way CPG companies and is different than the way healthcare companies. And so I have tailored marketing and campaigns and thinking and approaches with each of those. And if you think about your, you know, you pick your sales and gate out, outreach or sales loft or groove or whatever, there are a series of touch points, marketing and sales and digital touch points that I want to have with that customer that's tailored to their need. And so first things first is, have I actually spent the time to rip apart my universe and actually come up with what are the needs of each of these, these groupings and sized it? And it doesn't just need to be industry. It could be whether they're up for renewal or not. It could be a you know, multi-product strategy. It could be, you know, with, with all the tools you all have now, I can actually look up who are my weakest competitors, who are my competitors that are weakest, where do they live right now? And I'm going to go do a competitor takeout campaign and figure out something there. So first is design the play that you think is going to be most effective. The next piece is, okay, now within the sales team, I, I've warmed them up. I've got them into a place. I am going to drive immense amount of accountability and uh, within my sales team to say, have you made the phone calls? Have you done the outreach? Have you done, have you, have you talked to these financial services firms? And, you know, we've all lived it, but the more you, the more you talk to a common set of customers with a common need, with a common approach, the better you are at selling. And so what, what we have found is actually this makes enablement a lot easier. So I don't need to enable you on the full toolkit for everything. I'm going to enable you on what are my FS customers need today and how does my product solve that? I'm going to enable you in six months on what do my CPG customers need and what's, and slowly you're building this war chest of plays that you can start putting into the market. Um, and then last but not least, it's okay, how do I actually coach and tune and fine tune that play over time? And that's on the marketing side, that's on the sales time, that's on the product marketing side. And so as people are thinking about all these pieces, it's no longer just a marketing campaign. It's a sales and marketing system that enables uh, reps and teams and managers to get up to speed significantly faster. There's far less time on Sunday night looking through your calendar and figuring out who you're meeting with that week and what's the right set of cloud. It's off the shelf. It's easy to use. And also on top of that, you have the references and everything is packaged and pre-built to make everyone's life way more efficient. And so that's the big next step we're seeing in selling is it's far more prescriptive, but actually it's, it's allowing our field team to spend more time in front of customers having high gain conversations and less time trying to track down the right set of informations or the right references or i mean we've all lived in organizations the amount of emails that flow through before meeting just trying to find have we ever done this before some of the right there's so much wasted effort and so spending the time on where that effort should be placed is is where a lot of folks are pushing these days so a system i want to dig in on one area so a system was the thing that i heard the most can you speak to how you've seen Co companies that maybe struggle still with the gap between sales and marketing because a system requires everybody to kind of be on the same platform or the same shelf or at least playing on the same field on the same team and i know i experience a lot of of folks that i work with where marketing and sales are still somewhat like not quite back to back but i'll do my job you do your job and then when we don't succeed i'll point the finger back at you and, or at least that's the concern. And so how have you seen companies start to build that connection point so the system can be built? Otherwise, they're building their own systems. That's tough. 
I think there there are it, what uh, trust is earned. It's not just awarded, and so it does take time. I think there are a few things that that we try to hone in on early, which is are the incentives aligned, and we're seeing more and more organizations shifting, and people are saying the right things. But I, I'd say if I if I go back twenty four to thirty six months, a lot of marketing was was really their their success and failure was on MQLs. Maybe if we got lucky, it was SQLs. And what that meant is we had so much stuff flying over the fence that was MQL and SQL, and sales would pick it up and say, "This is this is crap. Like I I have no interest." And there was there was the incentives were not aligned in that way. And so a lot of organizations are moving towards, okay, I'm actually going to have targets, but my target is actually going to be on uh, opportunities approved by sales at the early stage or actually opportunities closed. And I'm going to put bonus incentives in that so that people are incentivized around that. So one is, and the same vice versa, you need to get sales incentives to actually pick up the marketing leads. But make sure the incentives are aligned. That is number one, tantamount, mission critical, that kind of stuff. I think two is um, actually having open dialogue. It's incredible to us a lot of times where we'll walk in, we'll start to work with organizations and bring these different groups of people together. And they say, we've been working together for 10 years, but we've never actually sat in a room, talked about this FS target, and I actually had a conversation between the front line and us to say what is working, what's not working, what messaging does and doesn't work. And this is incredibly refreshing to hear that marketing is taking our feedback and 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 sales is taking marketing's feedback on how we go do that. And so breaking down those barriers and actually bringing those teams together is the second piece. And it ties back to your first comment, which is since we're all now in our virtual rooms and our virtual houses and uh that connectivity is really important. It's way easier to dismiss someone when you haven't seen them face to face in a long time. Or you've never met them before. Or ever met them. Yes. I, the only time I talk to you is 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 on a screen. Yeah. I I think what I'm hearing you say too, there's a certain amount of leadership involvement, right? If you're gonna bring parties together and you're gonna line on incentives, because everybody can say they want success, but if my success is somehow measured different from your success, but we're supposed to be working together at there's going to be challenges and maybe that's where we'll start to see more in-person conversations like this on the just on the company side hey we got to bring people together and we got to whiteboard the way some of this is going to work so that when it doesn't work right i've met greg and greg's not a bad guy (laughs) i'll call greg and say man let's fix it the system we designed needs to be shifted and so speaking of that let's talk about the current economic state then um Things are changing. Companies are, are. I think everybody's nervous. Sometimes I envision it. I thought COVID was like this, Greg. It's like, we're all s- swimming in a lake. We can't touch the bottom. Like, where's the bottom? Where's the bottom? Once I know what the bottom is, I know where I could do. And I think when we start hearing words of economic climate recession, how are companies shifting and changing cost of sales and focusing on that? Because they've now shifted the way they do things and the the company or the market is acting differently, but now the market itself is different. That's a, that's a good one. And maybe I'm going to, I'm going to go back and then come forward for a second. I, the one thing I want to hammer with, with our listeners is um, this whole idea of a sales play system and constructing the right play and all that kind of stuff that sometimes when I first heard it, there was like a whole bunch of blinking red lights that said, Oh, this feels like a six month boondoggle. Like we're all going to have uh we're going to get together and we're going to talk. And we're gonna, uh, 
what we have found is that organizations that do this well and they get the, the engine going, I'm working with an organization today, they pump out a new play every four weeks. So they have every, and if you go through the checklist, do I have an ideal customer profile? Have I got the marketing collateral right? Have I, do I have an A-B test plan in place? Do I have the analytics going? Do I have the collateral for my sales team to get that going? Has the sales team been enabled and trained to actually go deliver on that? They knock that out in four weeks. And so as you think about that at speed and no, no sales organization can absorb more than two to three sales plays at once, but depending on your size and scale, you may have a fed team, which could have two to three plays. You could have a, you could have a enterprise team, which could have two to three plays. You could have an industry team with two to three plays. So you may have way more plays than just your two to three, but you're, you're pumping out a lot more because you have a lot of different constituents to lead. So I don't, I don't want the team to walk away. Like this is a product lunch. We spent 12 months prepping. This is a, how do we get agile style teaming where we bring everyone together, follow a standard set of processes with a checklist of what, what good is, and we get it out the door at speed. And then the big thing is, how do we make sure rev ops and sales and marketing are held accountable in the back end to actually keep modifying? So agile being the key point, meaning because it's got to iterate. Bingo. And so I don't, I don't want the same person in if that's doing an FS play to be also be in a, a fed play because they're not going to know. And so you need to bring that point specialist and expertise in. And so think of like the scrum master, they're people who know how to build the play and they're the scrum master. And then they're bringing in the point specialist and you may have a marketing person that's really good at creative and a few standard folks, but you are bringing that expertise and that's how you get speed around these things. Gotcha. Gotcha. So then. Yeah, the, the the economic situation. Yeah, I, so I can I can go there next. Um, it's not the greatest. Like we're all living it. Um, the the newsreel for for the last uh, twelve to eighteen months has been rough, and and there've been uh, a lot of folks being let go, and it doesn't feel like it's stopping right now. It's but um, I think the thing uh, the, that aside, I think the thing that is is has been clear to me in talking talking with folks and in my business and working with with other businesses as well is um what's been a little strange early days and even continue i think at least for me i feel like i'm starting to get my finger on what's going on but the we walked into this thing and people still had sizable pipelines and so we said oh i've got three times coverage i've got i've got this stuff i i feel like i'm gonna be okay but what was coming out on the back end was far less than what my coverage ratios looked like on the front end and so you stare at that and you say, how? Like I, I thought I had, I thought I had the pipe to make the number, even, even the level of commit. And, and at least what I am seeing, and it, and this was a, this was like an aha moment when late one night staring at a bunch of data was actually when I look at what was in the pipe and I look at what was closed one, closed lost, and I go back five quarters, if I had 600 opportunities in a pipe, and I look at what was closed one, closed lost at the end of that quarter that I expected to close based on historical close rates, uh, 590 of them would have closed, whether closed one or closed lost, but 590 and 10 walked out the pipe. If I look at what's happening today and I, and, and I looked at actually quarter by quarter, uh, progressing from five quarters ago today, and that number of stuff that didn't close, either didn't close one or didn't close lost, went from 10 on 600 to about 200. And so a third of a third of your pipe is kind of zombie pipe. It's just never going to close. And so you look at these things and you say, okay, well, 
I thought from from five quarters ago to today, when I look at my closed one ratio relative to my my opportunities, like my my close ratio is cratering, like on an absolute basis. I closed two hundred out of six hundred. It was I was I had a you know, uh, the the ratios were fine. I closed two hundred out of three hundred. I'm not going to be able to do the math in my head on the fly, but but now I'm doing a hundred on on six on on six hundred, and that's you know one six. That looks terrible. But if I actually did 100 on 400, because 200 walked out, so uh, I'll slow down again. I had 201 out of 600 total. Today, I've, I have 101 out of 600 total. The reality is, though, 200 of that shouldn't have been in there in the first place. And I look at that 100 on the, on the 400, and my close rates are kind of the same. But it's just there's just not enough opportunity sitting out there just because people aren't spending money. And so as... That, that leads you to a whole different set of dialogues, which says, okay, got it. So my pipe isn't as real as I thought it was. And the opportunities that are out there are not as many as there once were. And so there's, there's kind of two or three things you can do. I either need to, one, increase demand. So I need to figure out which one are the 200 that is my zombie pipe and figure out a way to incent them like crazy that today is the day you're going to buy. Do I put, you know, interesting, you, you know, don't pay us for the first six months. Do I do a whole bunch? That's hard. The reality is most of the people thought they were going to buy. They actually didn't have the approval. There's CFO decides one time cost freezes. Like that's a really hard job. I think we got to assume maybe you can convert some of that 200 of the zombie pipe, but you're really not going to get there. So then, okay, if I need to win more, then it's actually, how do I increase my win rate? So I need to, of the 400 that remains... How do I increase my win rate within that? And so who are the weaker competitors? How do I swarm the deals that I think are maybe not as good, but we got to go, but th- that deal swarming and increasing your win rate overall is the next big push. And then I think that the, the challenge that a lot of uh, organizations have been faced with is in, a, in an environment where there just is uh, you know, 30% less opportunity, how do I make sure that I retain the talent that I want to retain and make sure that they made a hundred percent of quota. Cause I can, I can have a hundred reps today making 70% of quota and have everyone walking out the door. I could have, you know, 70 reps today making a hundred percent of quota and I get to keep the individuals. And so that's the trade-offs that I see organizations making with now is saying, I know it's going to be less. Like I'm not going to fool. I'm not going to put crazy numbers out there and I don't want to demoralize my team. I want the people who are in here killing their number it's going to be hard but there's there's i'm not going to b- believe that there's this phantom demand the zombie demand is going to convert and i've got to figure out how to do it so sorry that was a lot of thoughts but c- conceptually it's just big the big headline is just stuff isn't transacting like it used to and so you have to decide how do you increase win rate and how do you have the right amount of resourcing to go get that i think it's kind of related to the what we talked about at the very beginning there Leads turn to consider like things that do go down the funnel move faster and you have to be ready and you have to make sure that you're being considered and you have to, I think what I'm hearing you say is you got to act really well. You got to be supremely efficient and effective on those things because there's not as many of them. So you can't afford to lose things and confronting zombie pipes so that you're not trying to keep track of 200 things. If I'm only going to keep track of the 80 that we really think have a shot, 
let's just confront that versus wishing it was 200. So now we're spending time on 120 things that aren't going to happen. And the need is to really focus on the stuff that can happen. Cause I, I think I hear it all the time because clients, companies are, you know, they're in that lake right now. They don't know where the bottom is. So there's people are being very smart. And especially if you're in the, in the, in, in any industry, but if you're in the marketing or sales industry and making investments in that space are, uh, sometimes challenging because they expect to see ROI. So there's a lot of uncertainty. So no, I get, I, I get it. I like zombie pipe. That's uh that's a good one. I think that's something that, that we can take. So Greg, this has been a great chat. We've gone from guardrail to guardrail to building systems and not sales plays, right? I think we would call them maybe, cons- uh, I don't know, maybe they're ABM plays, but they are definitely plays where the two sides and the two groups are working together and to be agile or maybe plays that are agile. And then we talked about zombie pipe. I've, this has been a great conversation. Let's end it this way. What are you, what are you reading or listening to now that, that you could leave some, some markers for some people who want to hear, hear some different things that you're considering? I, I guess the first, the first one is, uh, I, I, I try, I, I am not an economist by trade, but I try and find, simple things that give me little readers on where the economy is going and a bunch of stuff like that. And, and so the, the simple ones like the, the, the Bloomberg daily updates, you try and get some of those things I'm never going to fully understand it, but those are elements that try and, you know, break it down for a layman like me to say, like, is demand going up? Is demand going down? How are consumers spending? Those types of things are just helpful to know. Uh, and even around industries, which industries are doing well, Looking at just broad earnings reports, is CPGs doing great or are they struggling? If they're struggling, okay, the demand that I'm going to see in that part of the market is a lot lower than maybe, you know, financial services in this market or healthcare services tends to survive. And so just just having that kind of uh, heat map of where companies are uh, performing and not performing just helps you get yourself in the right mindset when you walk into the room with them. I think the other one, I've been spending a lot of time on is just uh, a little bit of like the meetups and the forums and those types of things and and trying to spend time getting underneath it with with peers and trying to get a better sense of like how are your individual businesses performing and we all have have friends and and confidants and in other organizations but trying to get out of my own echo chamber of what is my business and trying to listen to what others are seeing and that that has been pretty game changing uh, for me is just you start to put all the pieces together and, and it feels you can start testing the theories, whether it be the zombie pipe or the guardrail and see if others are, are seeing that same thing. So th- those are the ones actually, interestingly, it's been more about talking to others because the newspapers and the, the, all those stuff aren't keeping up with what I think we all are experiencing on the ground. There's a lot to consume out there, right? Too uh, much. There's a lot to consume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Too much. Well, Greg, I've thir- I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for coming on Sunnyside. We we really uh, uh appreciate it. We're grateful to you and have a have a terrific rest of your week and thank you. My pleasure, man. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 